Hey, it's Paulette again, and I'm honored to bring you another episode here on the Thriving in Chaos Project. Now in our fifth season, I bring you resilient survivors, key resources, and experts in their fields to lighten the load and shine a light on the path forward from confusion to conclusion through all things divorce and transformation. So let's get started. I'm hosting a retreat in Belize. Some of you may know, but I used to live there. And Belize is a melting pot of culture that carries over into the food, the music, and the fun. It is the best of both vibes from jungles to ground you and beaches to heal and soothe. I lived there for many years and go back and forth between there and Atlanta because I can't get enough. My co-host, Tiara, visited me and didn't want to leave either. No one does. This is paradise, folks. My co-host here and I chatted about the perfect all-inclusive location for you ladies that are going through a pivot in your life and need to reset, renew, and rebuild, and we nailed it. We kick off with a three-day adventure in the luxurious eco-resort Kapal Tree in the southern Belize jungle, followed by three luxurious days on Thatch K Island, a private island over water oceanfront oasis in the turquoise Caribbean along the Belize Barrier Reef. Whether you're going through or just coming out of a divorce, especially with a narcissist, a career change, or you just want to get back to the parts of you that you haven't seen in a while, we are talking to you. Make note, May 4th to the 10th, 2024, and start packing. Space is very limited on the private island and in the jungle. Be sure to act now. We have a passion for leading truly transformational healing events from heart-opening, accessible guided meditations to connection-based life-changing tools and practices. We curate each moment with care and compassion to ensure every lady is taken care of from the initial registration to the final namaste. It's better in Belize. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Thriving in Chaos Project 2023. I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's a fact. Here we are in New Year and my first interview of the new year, and how appropriate that today's guest tackles the um, very poignant and important and deep topic of narcissistic abuse and divorce. Her name is Vicki Lynn. She is a freedom fighter and overcomer rising out of the ashes from 25 years of narcissistic abuse. Um, welcome to the show, Vicki Lynn. It is such an honor to have you here. Um, and I thank you for your time in this interview today. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. You're you're so welcome. I'm going to share just a tad about your um your uh 
business and your company and your movement is what I call it. So Vicki Lynn has a company, listen up everyone, called the Survivor Center. She's a faith-based, high-conflict, co-parenting, and divorce coach reaching back into the fire to help other single mamas sharing custody with an abuser. That is a very intense uh, topic, and we have a lot to discover. So um, without further ado, I want to um, have you share as much of your story as you're comfortable um, and have you share a bit about why you decided to do this work. I, I'm i assuming or, or surmising that at the age of, I don't know, what is the first time somebody asks us, what do you want to be when you grow up? But that probably was not the answer to the question, right? Uh, and nobody ever said to well, people always asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they naturally assumed the answer would be ballerina. And they were wrong. And those of you that know me understand that joke. And if you don't, well, we'll talk about it later. But, but I never in God's green earth would have said, I want to be a divorce expert. Never. Uh, maybe the experts, uh, uh, you know, a little presumptuous and um, I don't know. Yeah, another word, but it, it isn't something that we aspire to be, right? I mean, I don't know anyone, um, even family law attorneys and and mental health practitioners that say when they're five or 10 or 15, I want to I wanna be a divorce um, professional. So share as much of your story as you're comfortable because I want to know. <laughs> well, What's that saying? Um, personal experience is the best teacher, right? So I think that's why we all come out on the other side. And it really speaks to your heart, my heart, anyone that's in this field, our heart for others, <clears throat> that we not just want to run away from this topic, right? Just go live our lives, especially if you're remarried <clears throat> and never look back, but to stay in it and to continue to help others that are in the fire uh, that speaks a lot to um, how big our hearts are for other people. So mm -hmm. growing up, I wanted to be a teacher always. And I've definitely taught in various forms throughout my life. And I continue to, and this is another way, right? Teaching, coaching, they're all along the same lines. <clears throat> but what's interesting is that I basically grew up with a chip on my shoulder because my parents divorced after 20 something years of marriage. My mom's sister was divorced. Then my sister got divorced. There was just this lineage of divorce and none of it felt positive, even though they all needed to happen, but none of it felt positive. There was a lot of bitterness and anger and resentment and, you know, uh, unforgiveness. And so when I got married at 27, I wasn't young. Uh, I mean, I met the ex at 23. Um, <clears throat> but when I got married and from that day until the day, like I left him for the second and final time, divorce wasn't in my radar on my radar because I was going to be the one that broke that chain. And so if you take an empath with a divorce chip on her shoulder and a narcissist, well, you've got 25 years of an abusive relationship formula right there. Mm. Well, you know, it's interesting because you said, you know, that we, we learn from experience and, and we, but I, I like to think of that. If you want to learn something, you study it, right. You practice it. But if you want to master something, you teach it. Right. And I did uh, teach for many years, not academia, but 
performing arts. And um, I was a good dancer. I was like, you know, I don't know. I I was not, um, well, I'm five foot eight. And I could never have been a ballerina, maybe a rockette. Um, but my, I do not have the body of a ballerina. Um, you know, I, I'm a 34 double D, <laughs> you know, Nellie Joffrey has ballerinas like that. So, um, you know, uh, you ballerinas are always tiny and in point shoes, I was taller than any, any guy that was expected to lift me over his head. So, um, but when it came to perfecting, breaking something down into little tiny pieces, right? How to do a torjete, you know, those of you that are dance, because I could break it down and teach it, my own dancing, you know, 10 I, I really became the dancer and the choreographer and the performer by teaching dance for 20 years. Now, I retired at 37, thank God. So I, all my friends that have had to have hip replacement and knee, knee replacements, because they were, I'm not going to use the word stupid, uh, un unwise to keep dancing into their 50s and 60s because the body just says, I can't do this anymore. But it's the same thing with anything else that we want to master, right? Is by teaching it and uh, breaking it down into little segments so that we really understand. Because when it comes to that model that you had as a little girl, right? From your family member's and your parents, and I think you said an aunt or, you know, and they weren't the greatest role models of divorce. Well, yeah, there aren't a lot of great role models out there. Although I have to say when my children were little, uh, they were one, three, and five. I found this phenomenal babysitter that was from a divorced family. And I, her name is Sarah. Hi, Sarah. And uh, she's happily remarried with three, uh, married with three children, but I didn't know her parents were divorced. I had no clue, Vicki Lynn. They were amazing at being polite and respectful and communicative and co-parenting in such a way. And there were four girls and a boy. Um, I remember them like it was yesterday. And I said to her when she was 16, Sarah, your family is the poster children of what a divorced family can look like. I didn't know my parents stayed married and they probably shouldn't have, but <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting because we don't have role models about what ma marriage should look like. Uh, there are a couple, you know, really I've, I've had a few in my life and what divorce can and should like. And that's, I think uh, we're on a movement um, you and I collectively, and there are others out there too, we're all on this together to help people understand that it can come from a place of empowerment and truth and authenticity when you're tied in with your core values and you really know what truly is important to you. So you had this experience as a little girl, and then you had this marriage that wasn't the healthiest, and you made a decision to, on the second time, as you said, to divorce. And what was that journey like for you? because many people don't know that there are options. Um, how did you learn about divorce? And um, most people don't understand DIY and three forms of mediation, collaboration, arbitration, and litigation. And they just run to the attorney's office, plunk down the retainer and say, get me out of this as fast as you can. Um, and I trust you. Well, why shouldn't I? Because you're a lawyer, right? A family law attorney. Hopefully you went and got a family law attorney, not just any old attorney. No offense, but that's like getting you know a root canal 
um, from a dermatologist, if you get my drift, right? So, um, so what was you, what did you know, and and how did you break that myth so that uh, you approach divorce from what foundation? That's a good question. <clears throat> when I initially left in 2011, and my daughter was one, I really was pushed to the brink. Um, because the abuse was has had escalated so much, and and then my daughter was the catalyst that finally um, you know lit the fire for me <clears throat> to save her and myself. But when I and when, so when I left, then I was super angry, you know, and and which was kind of necessary. And to anyone <clears throat> that's out there that has suffered through a narcissistic um, marriage, understand that anger is actually extremely healthy because you've been suppressing it for so long. So you kind of the pendulum has to swing back and then you have to come back to center where you can, you know, um, self-regulate and manage your emotions, but just understand that that's normal. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> but when I left, I was very much of the thought that I needed to, I don't want to say calm down, but I needed to let my emotions settle. I needed to like regulate myself. So I did not get a lawyer right away. We, for some, somehow, I feel like it was a miracle for two years, we just shared custody without any paperwork. Um, and it was, wow. I use uh, air quotes, okay. You know, like it was okay. <laughs> Adequate. <clears throat> yeah. And what I realized at the time was I didn't want to do exactly what my, my other, the what other women in my family had done, which was go get divorced while you're angry or vengeful. I wanted none of that. I wanted to heal and I, I really wanted to try to forgive him for all of the abuse so that in my head, you know, my heart was to have this beautiful co-parenting relationship for our daughter. Well, <laughs> when you have a narcissist with as a co-parent or someone you're divorcing, that literally would be like the zero, zero, one percent possible because a narcissist doesn't want harmony and doesn't want to co-parent and doesn't really doesn't, doesn't want anyone else's best interest except their own. So I had a pipe dream that really couldn't happen with this person. And most people, most women have that. If you're leaving a narcissistic abusive relationship, so that's emotional abuse, verbal abuse, psychological abuse, could be physical, sexual, financial, and spiritual abuse, any and all. If you're leaving that situation and you're thinking, okay, well, I'm going to get away. And then it, you know, I'm still going to be able to cooperate with him for our kids. I'm still going to want to have holidays with him for our kids. I just want to give you a reality check that more than likely that's not feasible with someone who is a true narcissist. So that's one of the things I help women do is to get a grip on what are they really dealing with? What is the reality? Not what they wish would be true, but what is actually true. Mm. So I didn't end up getting a uh, uh, a lawyer. And so uh, until the second time I left him, so obviously there's some time in there, but I was, while we were separated the first time I was diagnosed with breast cancer and I had a three-year-old. And so I allowed him to move in with me and take care of both of us, which was weird and awkward for a time uh, when I was at my most vulnerable. Uh, and then just due to complications from chemotherapy, <clears throat> I had to move in back in with him. So now the two of my daughter and I moved back in with him and we lived kind of like roommates for a couple of years, but then the abuse escalated. And then eventually in 2016, 
um, I escaped my daughter for the last time. And then I did get a family divorce lawyer. <laughs> yes. Okay. And did you do any research about finding a family law attorney or you just kind of opened up, dare I say, the yellow pages or Googled it? Or how did you stumbled upon, how did you make that decision about finding the best family law attorney for you? Well, so what's interesting is, and this happens, I'm sure to other women too, I was in a financial position that I could not afford a family law. I couldn't afford a lawyer. I wasn't working. I basically had chemo brain that didn't allow me to assume a full-time job at the time. And so irony is uh, a former babysitter of my daughter was a lawyer. She was a nanny and then she started her own law firm. So I contacted her and she took me on pro se. And she did a, you know, um, a fine job. She obviously was pro se, so she's not going to give you her best really per se. But at the same time, she was of the mind that a lot of family lawyers are, which is treat this divorce like any other, you know, yes, he's a jerk, you know, like they listen to what you say, but they don't really understand. And maybe the woman, women sometimes, and perhaps me didn't really explain the, you know, uh, the, the, the gravity of the situation or the, you know, because you've got people on a spectrum, you have someone who's just a jerk and just uncooperative as a partner that you're divorcing. And then you have someone who's extreme, who, you know, can be prone to violence and can be prone to a substance abuse and harm in so many ways. And we were at that end of the spectrum and I probably did not express it well enough to her, but she also just, um, desired for me to settle out of court, you know, and just, come up with an agreement between the two lawyers, take 50-50, but I did um, advocate for 60-40. So I got 60 and he got 40. Um, so so that, that's mm. the story there. Right. So prior to all of this, had you maybe been educated more and felt like you had the support um, knowledge, organization, and research about what divorce might have looked like and been get your ducks in the row. Naturally, cancer puts a whole nother color on it. So we'll, we'll put that aside for a second. But in the norm of prior to that living together and, and you know, whoa, like kind of hoping to co-parent together. And you had this, uh, I hate to use the word fantasy, but image um, that you wanted um, the, the, hmm, the best possible results that you could get. And I'm willing to give it my best uh, college try, as my father would have said, right? Um, give it the best college try. I can still remember him saying that. You know, um, had you had that and maybe started saving some money for at least some retainer or some deposit or something, you might have felt a little more empowered or prepared than. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. And it's similar to, uh, I mean, you know, it's like an onion. <laughs> you have all these, you know, uh, preconceived notions or beliefs and sort of what you're saying, you know, a des- like desires that can become fantasies too about what divorce should look like or you want it to look like. And then you start peeling back the layers. And of course, reality hits you is who else you're dealing with, which is the partner you're divorcing. Um, and yeah. the fact that lawyers are super busy. They're super busy and often aren't able to 
or maybe just don't pay attention to. I don't know what the, you know, what the verb is there to the details of your case. And <clears throat> I found over the time, cause I ended up again, I, you know, my story's long, but I, we got a custody order in place with this pro se lawyer and that held for a couple of years. But during those couple of years, things escalated where my daughter was in danger when she was going to his house, his substance abuse escalated. Um, he bought a, he bought a gun like thing and he started threatening me. So things escalated during that time that hmm. we were sharing custody. I was too afraid to actually file for divorce because of fear of him. And during that time, I did obtain another family lawyer uh, and I paid him, you know, regular fees, right? So this was not pro se at all. But what I found during that time is these things started, these truths started coming to light. No one's going to advocate except me for my kid, not, not in the way that I want, right? And I can pay him X amount of dollars per hour, but it's still, it's still me. So what I ended up learning the hard way was how to present evidence to my lawyer, you know, how to organize it, um, how to make sure I drew out the most important details and then how to use language. Cause I would Google, I would Google the laws in my state and I would look at the language of the law, whether it was best interest of the child, whether it was a protective order, which I have, you know, and I would start using the language that the court understands to present my evidence to my lawyer. And I figured at the, at the least it was going to just minimize my bill with him because <laughs> he would just be able to cut through, you know, all the noise instead of giving him hundred pages of texts. Mm -hmm. yes. Right. Right. Because your case has to hold water and, um, the judge ultimately is the person that has to be uh, impressed in the sense of looking at the case at the body of work of the stack of evidence. And the judge can only base their decision on who is more credible, right? Who is more believable? Um, and dare I say this, I don't think is a stature, but I've seen many judges who is more likable, you know? Um, and that's not to say that it's a competition or a personality, uh, you know, competition. It's not a beauty pageant here, but but there has to be that when they look at the, the two parties and the body of work and the evidence, whether that be text messages, email, audio, video, witnesses, experts, confidentiality agreements, business evaluators, guardian at lightens, I could keep going for special masters, you know, you, you, you got a whole myriad of people that you can to support your case, but you have to use the language of the laws as in best interest, et cetera, et cetera, because if they, if they look, the judge, they look at your body of work and it doesn't hold water, if you know what I mean. It's not a colander or, you know, one of those sand things you get at the beach, like a sifter when you go gold mining, right? It's what's going to be left in there has to have substance and solid. It can't just be he's a jerk or she's a, a B.I. I don't want to say it, right? So um, you, you have to have solid foundational evidence, a timeline of your marriage. You've got to 
back it up, back it up, back it up. It can't just be an emotional thing. And there's no blue ribbons, everyone. You don't get a pretty little blue ribbon because you were more damaged. You know, there's two sides of the track. You've got the bowl of emotion and you've got the spreadsheets. So the bowl of emotion is lovely and all that. And I don't mean to discredit it by any means, but go to your therapy for that. Don't go to the courts. They're not going to give you a blue ribbon for being emotionally justice, um, more justice, right? So how do most people that are even on this, here we are, January 2023, and you know that um, January is divorce month. And it's yes. the most Googled. Um, my calendar and email is insane. Um, but I also try to put um, water on the fire and not gasoline, right? So that we're making right. wise choices. But how do those people who have conflict, and let's face it, Vicki Lynn, no marriage is perfect, right? You know, we all are human beings and nobody comes to marriage with this um Barbie and Ken, pardon Barbie and Ken, or Minnie and Mickey, or you give the, you know, give me two fictional characters, a model. I mean, that's probably one of the problems too, that we come to this wanting that Barbie and Ken image. And, um, and so those normal conflicts, you know, arguments, disagreements, uh, secrecy, but at what point is it now a red flag moment where you cannot or you shouldn't, uh, for the sanctity of your own mind, body, and spirit, look the other way? And what advice would you give to someone listening that is questioning that early planting the seed of, oh, should I or shouldn't I? Can I fix this? Is it fixable? Uh, what if we get mental health counseling? What if we go to marriage counseling? What if we pray? And I could probably make a long list of other things, people, you know, do a rain dance to fix the marriage. And, and I'm actually really proud to say it. Last, last year, I saved about nine marriages. So I'm not pro-divorce, everyone. Um, but I'm, I'm also proactive, either doing what you can to save the marriage or do it correctly. But what is that red flag? And how do you and your expertise say, no, it's not salvage salvageable, although they have to make the de definitive answer. How do you advise them? Because that's the, the tipping point, right? Mm -hmm. Right. <clears throat> and what, what I found is that I'm actually, so not that I, again, I don't want to win a blue ribbon. I don't want well, to know, but so many people want that emotional justice, right? Yes. Right. But when I say this, I'm, I'm, it's just, it's just, it is what it is. That's what my mom would say. And <clears throat> meaning I work with women who are literally at one end of this divorce spectrum. And so what no one is coming to me asking, you know, should I stay in the marriage? Most of them, if, if anyone comes to me, that's still with their uh, and I'm use I use the word abuser because if I just say narcissist, it actually makes it less than what it actually is. So, uh, mm -hmm. okay, so I'm talking about women in that situation. Um, when they come to me and and say, you know, um, you know, do you think he can change? What can I do? <clears throat> I ask them for like a scenario. Okay, so tell me like the most recent event, your most recent fights, your most recent disagreement, what happened, and then I can qu usually quickly surmise. Is this truly just um, we're not getting along or is this truly a situation where this person is dangerous, whether it's emotionally dangerous or physically, right? Some way dangerous. Um, 
And so if, if it is that, if it is the latter, then the, my answer to them is my experience is they will never change. And this is a dangerous place for you and your kids. Right. Um, and so <clears throat> I don't really get people coming to me that aren't there. Okay. Be probably because I'm, what I'm putting out is I'm in the extreme camp, unfortunately, but it is what it is. <laughs> Call it what it is. Sure. So I love the word, excuse me. I love that you use the word dangerous, right? It, so there's a risk involved, right? Of your emotional well-being, your physical safety, your financial security, whatever, you know, it's going to be, as you mentioned, there are seven kinds of abuse, psychological, mental, emotional, physical, sexual, financial, and spiritual. Many people don't know that. So write that down, hit pause, rewind what I just said. Don't just think that if you have a black eye or you've been sexually abused, that you're been abused. There, there can be many, other gradients of of abuse so listen up to vicky lynn with that but if there's risk involved and danger involved we have now gone from normal oh he's such a jerk or she's such a jerk or they're such a jerk um to no there's risk involved not only for me but the children right so yeah. so we've made this decision um it can't be fixed. It's not broken. It's dysfunctional, right? Because sometimes you can fix broken things. We just go by super glue. You know, you can't super glue a wedding, um, a wedding, a marriage, probably not a wedding either, <laughs> a marriage together. Uh, so now you've made this decision and somebody has to get out with dignity and grace and wisdom well, you don't have to, but I advise you do. Uh, don't just, you know, run unless you need to go to a shelter. You know, that's another conversation. But, you know, there has to be a strategy involved, right? What is your strategy? So what are your best tips for navigating the emotions, the communication, and the boundaries in high-conflict co-parenting situations that so many people find them in themselves in? So the number one tip I would have, especially if you're planning to leave, planning to get divorced, and you are truly in a high conflict, dangerous situation. And again, you just describe the different dangers <clears throat> is to not tell him, not tell him that you're planning to leave. And again, yeah. I'm dealing in extremes and that's my expert deck. That's what I lived. And that's where who people I help. Right. So that goes against everything that we are. That, that as humans, you want to tell them, you want to make sure that you tell the kids together. Like, again, thinking of this, like Kramer versus Kramer, <laughs> 80s reference. Right. You know, movies, yeah, there's this, right? what you're going to wear and you're going to sit on the couch together and you're going to, you know, all the right. kids will have snacks and, and we will have all been fed and rested and right. everyone's going to have this nice kumbaya moment about, you know, mom and dad are getting divorced. Is right. that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. And so in these situations, and I would say, you know, you can Google uh, red flags of a narcissistic relationship. And if you start checking at least one of them, well, probably two. I mean, you should go through. It depends on which flag you're checking. That will tell you if you're in a high conflict situation or if you're with someone who is unsafe in one or more ways. Mm -hmm. And then my advice is going to apply because um, well-meaning women tell these guys who are harmful in, in whatever way that they're planning to leave. And then something happens, their bank accounts get frozen. Now they can't leave. Um, or, <clears throat> you know, 
something will happen that they can't leave. The car note won't get paid. It gets repossessed. Bank accounts get frozen. Or <clears throat> they start going on a smear campaign and telling everyone that, that they know that you're cheating, you're an alcoholic. They start lying. It's just totally start lying so that there's pressure on you to stay. I mean, there's like so many scenarios. I'll just give you two of them. <clears throat> um, or at the or at the other extreme is the ex physically wouldn't let you, you know, won't let you leave, especially with the children. Or they lock you so, out. Or they lock, yeah, exactly. So there could be so many things that happen. And what I would say is, and this is a hard one to really embrace, especially if you haven't come to the knowledge of this truth about the person that you're about to um, leave or divorce. If they are truly a narcissist, an abuser, a dangerous person, then you, no matter how many years you've been with them, don't know what they're capable of. And I don't say that to scare people into staying. I say that to be sober minded when you make plans to leave so that you are just super smart, super wise, and you keep all of your plans to yourself and maybe one person that you trust. And then you just make your escape plan. And that could be getting an apartment or a house, you know, um, getting a job, like saving up money, getting copies of birth certificates. Like there's a lot of things that go into this and it's in these situations, it's safety planning in yeah. addition to, you know, the financial and the, the documentation and whatnot. Yeah. No, there's a lot of, as I use the word strategy, right. It isn't, it's beyond planning. Um, uh, and that's a lot of the work I do um, in the book. I wrote better divorce blueprint, although that book is not about high conflict divorce specifically. I do touch on it because it's well, there. Um, and that's a separate entity of the work I do um, with how to divorce a narcissist, which is a separate case, which, you know, I don't know the statistics in the sense of diagnosis, because I'm not a psychiatrist, a psychologist, nor a mental health practitioner, but I hang around with them a lot. <laughs> and it's something like 2.7% of people are diagnosed either as cluster B personalities with either histrionic, antisocial, borderline, or narcissistic. I think all four of them are not a day at the beach. And uh, most people, and again, this is not a diagnosis, are a mixture of a few of those type of things. So, and it's really hard to get a diagnosis. So does it matter? No, you just know that if they, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it walks like a duck, by golly, just call it a duck. Now I wouldn't publicly do that. And don't you do that on social media. And as Vicki Lynn said, you got to be really careful about mitigating outside influences. It's so easy to lose those people you trust. Um, um, and you probably won't even have any of those people in your life. And as hard as that is to say and a pill to swallow, it's a lot um, of uh, self-awareness and a hard pill to swallow to to accept that, too. But, um, it, you know, many relationships have gone arise by a journal being read or a friend that just opened their big mouth. So be really careful when she says don't tell him. She also means don't write about it and, you know, in an unsafe way and don't tell people that, you know, Oh, guess what? I'm leaving. You know, um, no, 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 you're not. Don't you call her, call me. Well, we're safe, but uh, don't, don't be doing that stuff. So, um, so the encouragement now, so they've made the decision. Okay. The marriage is broken. It can't, no super glue. Um, 
I'm not going to diagnose this, but the red flags are check, check, check. And uh, I think there's like 36 of them. So if you have one, she's right. You know, if somebody lies to you once, welcome to being human. Like, We've all told a lie. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> we've all probably all told lots of lies. But I mean, there's a type of manipulation and evil com convoluted game playing, which is the kind of lying we're talking about. She's shaking her head, everyone. So yes. yeah. Right. Versus <laughs> the, you know, oh, nice haircut. You know, like I don't mean that. Oh, like dinner was great, honey. You know, like, you know, that's right. that that's just, yeah, that's you know, guilt by omission versus just but. Um, let's see if another one, you know, but if you're getting into triangulation and gaslighting and a smear campaigning and oh, I, there's a lot of them, you know, do your, you got to know your encyclopedia, um, your glossary of narcissistic relationships and terms. And if you're, if you made a list and you've got half of them, uh, duh, <laughs> what do right. we call it? You know, um, call it what it is. So, but then you've got this advice, but they need encouragement because it's so easy to throw in the towel or dig in your heels and bet the farm on another relationship or expect, um, you know, certainty and answers, you know, demanding that like there, you know, so putting all that aside on the top mistakes people make, um, I did do a little research on it. And the number one is trusting your spouse to do the right thing. Mm. Oh yeah. Well, why wouldn't we trust our spouse to do the right thing? We married them. They they asked us to marry them or told us to marry them and gave us a ring and pro, you know sort of proclaimed our our undying love to protect and and honor and unconditionally love. So why would they ever do any harm? And as you said earlier, no matter how long you've known this person, no matter how long you've lived with this person, how long you've been married to this person, don't be surprised if they change or, you know, all they'll be surprised all the things that they will do. I mean, um, it's mind blowing uh, the tactics and tools and habits and strategies they'll use to, to, always be the victim and you're the and they're the hero and you're the bad guy so what encouragement because we're gonna need it I'm coming to you for encouragement now what can you give those mamas who feel alone and scared locked in that high conflict divorce and custody battle so I always tell the mamas that I work with and this this came to me just again through my own experience that I truly believe that God created uh, each of us to parent the children that he gives us and to be the woman that stands up and protects and becomes the safe parent for these children. Um, God knew who, what he was doing. He knew he was giving you children with a person who is unsafe or dangerous. He knew that you were going to um, have it in you to rise up find your voice, put in boundaries. Maybe you're breaking generational curses. Maybe you're breaking just generational chains over your lineage to do these kinds of things. You may not have role models, like you said, um, but I fully believe that you have authority from God to do this and not just authority, but you um, have a an obligation or responsibility to your children not in a way that's um, condemning, in a way that's like freedom. 
giving you freedom to rise up, be the woman you were created to be, and then help your children to be the, the people that they were created to be. There's mm-hmm. a freedom in this, not a condemnation, not a judgment, and not, you know, more spiritual, spiritual abuse. Not at all. Right. But just knowing that you've got whatever you need inside of you, you might need a coach like one of us to help bring it out, you know, to help um, encourage you and guide you, but you've got everything that you need inside of you. Mm. Well, it's beautiful. I mean, and I don't specialize in this work, like, and and I'm I'm very good at modification and enforcement and co-parenting plans and custody issues. And, you know, when it comes down to that, but long-term strategy of working with somebody over time, you know, get that co-parenting app, go gray rock, disengage and, you know, be your best self. You know, so, but you created the Survivor Center, which is, you know, a lot different than Better Divorce Academies. I mean, just listen to the name of it, right? And um, your focus is more on ongoing work because, well, parenting never ends, by the way. And yeah, I mean, legally, 2118, uh, we'll call it a day, right? We get them roots and wings and then you pray a lot. But um, well, true, <laughs> I always see those parents that are still vicariously trying to parent their kids at 30. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> maybe maybe I'm not the person for you. But, you know, you mean, we want to be there to love and support and guide and, and give, you know, but but at what point do you say you now have to make smart choices based on your own, you're now a free will, right? But you're co-parenting now, you know, at what point when not everybody gets divorced and as, you know, statistics have it, a lot of people do stay together for the children so they can avoid this issue because now when they're adults, well, phew, we only have to think about two out of the four things that the courts care about, custody and child support, Um are the two that are vanish when when your children are emancipated, right? It, it, some states it's 18, some it's 23, but make sure you know the laws in your particular state. But it's an ongoing journey, Vicki Lynn. Like you parenting, you know, it's it's not just what kind of diapers we're gonna buy and are they gonna get braces and you know, are they gonna play football or can they take um I don't know whatever activity they want and do they uh have to you know, go to religious education school and uh, we could go on for days about decisions parents have to make and who is going to pay for everything and private school and not private school. And and that's hard enough to do with somebody you love and get along with. And now you throw in the fire, you know, about someone that isn't communicating and is blaming and what doesn't want to pay for it and and it's calling your names and abusing you so it's a matter of um having a community um not to replace that but to support and augment it so tell us about the survivor center and what does it do and how can it help women um predominantly in this situation so the survivor center the name came to me years ago uh in prayer And I didn't know what it was going to look like because I myself was still in the middle of this contentious divorce and custody battle. But I I also knew that women often feel alone. And that could be even across the board divorcing because, you know, you're divorcing and then you have friends who are still married, right? There's lots of that kind of feeling of aloneness, loneliness. But when you're in this situation where you're trying to explain to someone how crazy and harmful 
your soon to be ex is and the person that's sitting across from you has no experience with this they look at you like a deer in the headlights and they can't believe what you're telling them is true is real is not a, a fictional story so the survivor center number one is for community for women to not feel alone going through this and to be supported by others who understand truly because we are walking in the same shoes along the same path so we have a thriving facebook community it's a private community but over a thousand women in there um <clears throat> where we've got lots of things going on in there encouragement and tips and i do some training videos so there's that and then i have several online courses that i've created because what you said is true there is the point of understanding like how to get divorced, how to write a custody, you know, order, uh, you know, especially in, in eliminating gray areas as much as you can. Right. But then there's the, so there's that piece of it, but for women often that are coming out of narcissistic abuse, we, our voices have been squashed. We uh, historically don't have healthy, strong boundaries, especially with this particular person that we're divorcing. Um, communication. We've tried all sorts of things. We've gotten the best worded emails ever. And yet they still don't respond, you know, in a way that's helpful or like working for the children. So I'm, it's these courses that I have online. I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching. That's very personalized and individualized where I walk with someone along this path to um, learn healthy boundaries, then to put them in place, uh, practice them, communicate in a way, like you're saying, gray rock, but there's more to it, right? Um, and walk with someone while they get their voice, find their strength. And then basically they themselves start flying in freedom, even while they are still co-parenting with, with this crazy person. Because often women in the situation, including myself, literally feel like you are staring into a tunnel and there's no light at the end because nothing you do seems to change his behavior. And that is true. It's really all about the woman that's co-parenting. It's all about her and uh, changing her own mind and her own beliefs and her own thoughts. And then mm. once she does that, now she's going to react differently to his craziness and she's teaching the kids to do the same. And that's a huge part of the Survivor Center is looking forward to legacy, like our legacies, so that our children don't carry on abuse. Yes, we we want to be the change in the world. Yeah, Gandhi, exactly. be the change you want to see. Well, right. I'm so glad that you created it, founded it. It was essential and needed. And if you're listening and this is something or someone that you believe could help educate and guide you and empower you and inspire you to lead that legacy that you and your children need and deserve, I suggest you go to the survivorcenter.com or org. Dot com. Just checking. Um, SurvivorCenter.com for advice. And you would be able to locate Vicki there, I assume, too. Um, please reach out to her. She's charming and uh, dedicated to this service. Um, and um, I do hope that this has been help. Uh, is there any uh, words of wisdom and closing moments that you wish to give Um these people that are listening um there's a lot out there so listen up what what if you had one person for you know one minute what would you tell them if they're where you were what would you have told yourself um many years ago 
Well, for me, um, my faith is a huge part of who I am and my journey. And so I would tell them that to lean on their faith and to truly believe uh, what God says about them and their kids. So truly believe what he says um, is his promise that he promises to give us a future and a hope and not to harm us and to prosper us. And if you, if you take that and you really truly dig into it, then when you're in your darkest moments, you can just start saying that out loud. Lord, I cannot see a way out of this. I am completely feeling devastated and lost or stuck or whatever it is, fearful. However, and then you say the promise that you want to believe. Maybe you just like, I think it's true, but I don't feel it right now. You know, my circumstances are super crazy, um, but I want this to be true. Start speaking it out loud. Mm -hmm. And then I promise that things will shift and change. Even if your outside circumstances don't right away, your internal, you know, your internal emotions and your thoughts will, and then that will be the change that starts like being a catalyst for other things to change. Yes. And catalyst and change is so essential in healing. And if you can relate to this and you have been through divorce or a difficult breakup, doesn't even have to be legal marriage, right? Uh, You know, you're still co-parenting. In fact, I find that can be even more challenging because you don't have as much accountability with the courts being there to back you up legally. Although depending on if you're in a common law state, that's another conversation. But if that's you and you are looking for a smart, sacred, safe, community for that catalyst to uh, help nurture and and incubate, then you need to come to Italy with me in April. April 22nd to the 29th, there are only six spots left. Transformation in Tuscany. Hey, it's alliteration. Transformationintuscany.com. You are going to experience seven of the most, well, eight of the most life-changing, mind-blowing, healing days of your life. April 22nd to the 29th. It's affordable. It's safe. It is a private villa on a hill overlooking a private organic vineyard and farm. And you will not have one minute of anything to worry about from the moment we meet you um, and in Florence to the day you go back home with a plan of healing. You're going to know who you are and what your purpose is and why you went through what you went through and how you can help others. So come with me. I challenge you to live your very best life in 2023. It's all about me. So we will see you soon. Uh, And that is not a narcissistic comment. Extreme (laughs) self-care and extreme self-love are part of healing. So, um, you know, boundaries are everything, as you said. So thank you for your time, everyone. Thank you, Vicki Lynn, for joining me today. I hope this has been helpful, insightful, empowering. And regardless, it is your responsibility and your duty and your joy to keep thriving in the chaos. Thanks for joining me today. If you were inspired by today's episode, please share it with a friend or a loved one. My hope is you feel empowered to take some action, no matter how big or small. 
action that allows you to step out of the chaos and thrive on your own terms. If this podcast added any value to your day, please review it on iTunes, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Until next time, keep thriving in the chaos.